Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, how is your day, your week, your 2019 going? Um, I am awesome. I'm still dreaming of those waves in Costa Rica. And uh, speaking of, I don't know if you guys follow my social media. Well, you probably should. Come on. Um, I'm going to do an interview with my instructor, Ishmael Araya. He's otherwise known as a surf shaman. You will love it. Um, I can't wait for you to hear from Ish, and it kind of keeps my Costa Rica dreams alive. So it's a little bit selfish, but his story is incredible. That's going to be in the future. Um, in other fun news in my life, another 365 days have passed, and on February 17th, I turned 47. So I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I have pretty much zero attachment to aging, like through birthdays <laughs> at least. Um, I kind of feel like I've been approaching my aging self with more curiosity than fear. It's sort of my MO. I really did this when I was pregnant. I like interviewed anyone who'd ever been pregnant and asked them everything. But here's how it is. Like, oh, my body hurts a little more here or there. And oh, I've been really emotional lately aka perimenopause apparently and oh my hair might be turning gray but I'm blonde so it's not too noticeable but it feels a little different and oh hey I'm not really fast anymore <laughs> I had a funny chat with some skirt ambassadors at a little event we had last weekend and I said you know it's like my perception of my speed is totally off I'll be like wow I bet you I'm going like an eight minute mile and it's like a 10 minute mile because I think I think the effort is the same anyway um, all these things they haven't really phased me yet and I guess we'll see what 47 brings but I think part of it is that I continue to push myself and do new things and I think that helps offset aging so the cool thing for me coming up is that I'm following my 47th birthday with this crazy adventure to Hayward, Wisconsin for a little race called the Cortelepet, I think, or I guess it's just called the Cordy for short. It's, um, it's a 29K cross-country ski race. I don't know why they didn't make it 30 because 29 does not sound as good, but so I'm going to call it a 30K <laughs> cross-country ski race close enough. It's like the little sister ski race to the Berkey, which is like super well-known, like the Berkebeiner. Anyway, um, I'm assuming it's the only ski race I'll ever do, so I just plan to enjoy it. So there you go. Turn 47. Go do something stupid, but make it really fun. Okay, but here's the deal. It really took so many years of ups and downs on all levels, and... And after many struggles and many great times, I finally have come to a place of true happiness with who I am. 
And I think it allows me to take life in stride more. And it doesn't mean I don't sometimes get caught up in the little stuff, but I really work hard to see the bigger picture too. Can you guys relate to this? I mean, maybe it's maturity. I don't know. But all of this brings me to today's guest, Louise Green. Uh, she reached out a while ago to work with Skirt Sports on this cool app she wants to develop that, that brings size inclusiveness to the fitness world. And so I immediately called two of our ambassadors because I get a lot of requests to do stuff. Uh, Myrna Valerio and Latoya Snell, both who have been on the podcast since they've worked with Louise in the past. And I asked them if she's the real deal. And Myrna immediately wrote back, um, yes, hell yes, she is the real deal. <laughs> you need to talk to her. Um, so it turns out she's kind of a big deal in this world of size inclusivity. So anyway, Louise and I finally had this incredible conversation, which really boils down to what it means to find happiness and health, no matter what your circumstances are. Before we start, I also want to apologize for the sound quality. It's not bad, but it's not as good as in-person interviews. Um, Louise sounds a little, I could describe it as tinny, like she's sitting in a metal room or something. So hang in there. Um, The conversation It's just so good that I'm sure you won't really notice too much, but I wanted to let you know in case you decide, I got to email Nicole because the sound's not so good. But this brings me to something important that I just launched, which is going to help me improve the podcast, um, justify spending more time and energy on it, and maybe someday even develop enough support so I can do my interviews in person. How cool would that be? All of them. Um, It's called Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Many other well-known podcasts like my friend Rich Roll, who's going to be my next guest, uh, they also use this service. So basically, if you love and appreciate what I put out through the podcast, you can now back my work with donations at whatever level you feel is appropriate. I didn't create any tiers of like, try this level or this level. I just thought you decide. I mean, most people who are on board right now are supporting with five bucks a month, which is so awesome. I mean, I would, I would, I'm just so honored that anybody thinks this is valuable enough to support. So please hop over to Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com backslash Nicole DeBoom. Uh, it asks us to list what we're creating when you create your profile. And off the cuff, I wrote Nicole DeBoom is creating. A more positive world. That's it. That's how I hope you feel when you listen to my show. Okay, then, on that note, it is time to get today's amazing guest, Louise Green, on and make this world more positive. You know, I think um, I'm really excited to chat with you today, too, because the you reached out to me a while ago about the app, right? But And then I thought I had recognized your name, which... Looking back, I did just from you being on like every one of my friends' podcasts over all the time and like what you do. But I reached out to my two friends, Myrna and Latoya, who both are ambassadors for Skirt Sports. And I go, What's up with Louise? Is she the real deal? <laughs> That's how I phrased it. And Myrna wrote back, uh, Yes, <laughs> she is the real deal. You should definitely talk to her. <laughs> wow, That's awesome. What would you call this world that you live in that you're an expert of? 
Well, I would say that I am an expert when it comes to size diversity, fitness and inclusion. Um, so that can be like, you know, I was speaking to a woman before this call about just how her gym has absolutely no clue on how to deal with her. So there could be consulting for gyms. Like this is how you address this customer base. Again, if you're not addressing them, you're leaving literally millions of dollars on the table. Like this is a massive demographic that's not being addressed. Okay. So we are officially recording because this okay. is too good. And okay. we need to talk about like what industry it is we're talking about. And I thought maybe I could lead with uh, just a little paragraph of a post you did recently, which maybe can open the door to why you're in this world. Do you mind if I read it? Yeah, go ahead. About 15 years ago, I found myself emotionally and spiritually bankrupt and desperately unhappy with my life, my lifestyle, my body, and who I was. I was chronically attached to diet culture, with, which left me feeling like an endless failure who would never achieve anything that I set out to do. I knew everything had to change, so I spent the following years trying to figure out who I was, what I wanted, and ways to find my happiness. That is freaking powerful, <laughs> A, that you woke up 15 years ago and realized this. A lot of people are like going through the fog just sort of being unhappy, but not realizing that they need to make change. So let's start there. Let's talk about what happened 15 years ago. Like, what were you waking up out of? And what are these changes you made? How did you find a passion? There's a lot here. Well, I think I was a, a preteen and a teen and a young woman who had been caught up like many, many women are in that idealistic world of what I should look like and who I should be. And I never could measure up to it. I couldn't do it. My body wasn't going to be like that. Um, my hair wasn't going to be blonde enough. My legs weren't going to be long enough. I just couldn't do it. And so I constantly had this feeling of um, just never enough. And that kind of snowballed into bad habits around, you know, coping mechanisms around drinking alcohol and smoking and um, eating unhealthily and really into kind of an, a destructive way of living until one day I'm, I thought to myself, like, I'm in my late 20s, I'm super unhealthy, and I feel like if I don't change something, I'm going to die. <clears throat> wow. That is a huge wake-up call. Yeah. And, I mean, and that's extreme. So, you know, yeah, what I also heard was at the beginning you said, like, I felt like I should look a certain way, be a certain way. By the way, your hair is blonde enough now, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, that should, that is the worst word ever, I should. So who's telling you that? How did you even, how are those messages even ingrained in your head? Well, I think... For one, my, um, you know, it came from what was going on in my household. My mom was, um, like, never really overweight, but kind of was still always dieting. So there was that message that was like, okay, well, if she's thinking she's bigger and needs to change, subliminally, like, I didn't consciously think this, but subliminally looking back, I can see how that had some kind of effect. 
And then just like the, the, you know, like I grew up in, especially in high school, like late eighties, early nineties, where like that heroin chic, um, look was really in where like models were like really underweight. And so we're looking at women that are underweight thinking in, in most media and advertising that was happening at the time that like it's coming at you from every direction. So not only do my friends want to pursue that look, um, so they're dyeing their hair blonde and they're dieting and they're, you know, excessively exercising and um, all of those things, but all the all the media and all the messaging backs it up. I mean, it just, it just was everywhere. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, we may be in a similar... I, I also grew up in the 80s and I was in college in the early 90s, but... Those messages were definitely clear. There was not uh, everything you're talking about that's some that's unhealthy was glamorized. Totally. Wow. So yeah. So subliminally, you were told that you weren't good enough the way you were. So how were you? So I've always been a stocky person. Like <clears throat> I've always been heavier, even when I didn't have a lot of extra body fat on my body. Um, I've always been like surprisingly heavy. So even though, um, visually looking back, I may not have been that far outside of what the norm was, just knowing what my body weight was, was enough to do me in because anytime I'd go to a weight loss program, they'd be like, Oh, you need to be in this range. And I, I was like, geez, that's like 20 pounds lighter than I am. And I, I, I can't seem to, like, lose, you know, I'd be going to Weight Watcher. I have frequent flyer points at Weight Watchers. <laughs> and, you know, I would white knuckle all week long, hungry, irritable, and I'd get on the scale and they'd be like, oh, great, you've lost 0.2 of a pound. And I was like, I can't do this for 0.2 of a pound. Like, I, my body is not, I, I can't be hungry all the time. And I... My body just wasn't able to get to that to to that range. So it's one of the reasons why I really despise anyone telling anyone that they need to be within this range because the BMI factor is just so dated. It is. Actually, the scale in general. So this is interesting. Um, Skirt Sports has a Facebook group that we run called the Women Who Move Challenge, and we just do, you know, cool challenges and whatnot. And for New Year's, I think it was last year, um, I led the challenge and, and it was about what helping people come up with objectives and goals and mantras and cool things to get them, give them some purpose and motivation. And I was shocked and saddened by the number of women who said, I want to lose. And they literally had like 7.5 pounds, 18 yeah. pounds. It wasn't even like... You know, losing weight, that's a whole issue that I actually think we should talk about. But it was so tied to the scale and to some kind of exact number that I know as a woman athlete whose weight fluctuates all the time, um, that numbers like that are very self-defeating and they play with your brain and they do not cause happiness. They cause, It's the opposite. Absolutely. So let's talk about the scale. So you mentioned like you know, not really, be, definitely not being someone who encourages people to get within a range. Does that mean a weight range? 
Yeah, I don't encourage anyone to step on a scale ever, really. I mean, it's good, it's good to know your body weight, but I don't use it or encourage people to use it as a tool to their success. So how do we get the emotion out of it? So like, okay, I agree, it's good to know your body weight or you're going get, to get it known when you go to the doctor. So how do you get the emotion out of it? Well, I think one of the things to do is like you were similar to what you were doing in your challenges is to look at other ways that we can be successful and also educate women on like weight loss statistics and weight loss industry and how that, that whole industry is set up to its success is based on people's failure. So when we're talking about, it was interesting, I was having this call with my coaching group the other day and I was talking about uh, yogurt that has fat in it and that I I eat um, yogurt that has fat in it and people were like, but isn't that wrong? And I'm like, that's what we've been conditioned to think is that eating fat is wrong. that we have been conditioned in so many weird ways by this industry to cut down and whittle down on our body size um, that it's just like reframing everything. To eat fat yogurt, you know, I'd rather look at yogurt that doesn't have sugar than fat. Um, So just taking the taboo away from it, reframing what fitness and health looks like, um, reframing what success looks like, identifying what the trip-ups are, because the scale is a major trip up for people it is the thing that causes all or nothing fitness behavior because when it's not doing what we want it to do and it's often not people want to throw in the towel and quit oh so true i mean i definitely know that you are you don't believe in all or nothing mentalities so like so why is that so counterproductive again all or nothing yeah um i think it's a cycle like a diet cycle that people get stuck in and it's one of the number one problems that I work with women around is their all or nothing relationship with exercise. Um, it, it's just, you know, there's reasons behind the all or nothing. And, and one of them is diet culture mentality is it perpetuates um, <clears throat> this feeling of motiva- motivation, this euphoria around this pink cloud of this is the time it's going to be it. And then out of the gate too much, too fast, um, not sustainable practices, um, injury, whatever, and then boom, down to nothing. And then, you know, a little bit of time passes and then the next promise comes along like, hey, try this new thing. And there they are again at the same thing. And it's this cycle, same with diet cycling, that really never leads to any kind of success. You're stuck. Yeah, stuck. That's like my greatest fear in life, being stuck. Um, let's go back to then your story and how 15 years ago, you know, you're going through, you're doing your Weight Watchers, you're losing 0.2 of a pound and you're realizing like you're falling apart inside. Yeah. So that's you being all or nothing. Is that your personality in general? Are you sort of an all or nothing person? So I guess my point in asking that is if the answer is yes, then this must have been hard for you to change that all or nothing mentality towards food and eating and diet and workouts. Yeah, like I do have like an all or nothing, very addictive personality. So it's very extreme. It's like full balls to the walls or nothing. Um, And that's typically how it's been um, until I kind of started to learn a different way and just not just learn a different way, but learn a different 
paradigm, really. Like, um, I had always viewed fitness as hardcore and as a tool, as expenditure. That's all it was for me. Um, if I exercised more, I could eat more. That's, that was, it was, it was kind of a, a manipulation of my body. That's all it really was. And um, when that really changed for me is, uh, it was always about the weight loss. I, I walked into, I signed up for a running clinic in Vancouver here, and I walked into the running clinic that night really petrified. I'm going to be the biggest. I'm going to be the slowest. I'm going to get left behind. All of these, like, serious fears. And our run leader introduced herself, and she was a plus-size woman. And I was so taken back that there was a plus-size woman who had a body like mine who was in fitness leadership. And what was more astonishing about this particular person is that she wasn't trying to lose weight. I was like, but you're, you're in a bigger body. Like, I actually didn't understand it. I didn't understand what? You're just running for the sake of athleticism? Like, I didn't understand it. And because at that time in, in media, like we didn't have social media. I know this is like only 15 years ago, but Facebook wasn't around. Instagram didn't exist. So there weren't all these cultural change makers making themselves obvious on these platforms. You literally didn't see a larger body. No running magazine was going to put that person in the magazine. I mean, that's just starting to happen in the last couple of years. You'll see the token bigger body. But back in the day... It, you never had seen it. I literally never seen a bigger bodied woman running. That is, you're absolutely right. I mean, I started the, my company 15 years ago too, and it was a very different climate in all ways. Yeah. So, so you had to literally meet someone to yeah. see someone who looked like you, who was doing things like running for the pure joy or love of moving her body and not for other purposes, like because she is shamed into thinking she needs to lose weight to become a certain size, right? Yeah, or needs to lose weight to become an athlete or, you know, you know, I'm, I'm running because it's part of my, like, you know, journey to changing myself into a smaller body. It was just like, whoa, this woman's just running to be an athlete. And she's here to lead us because it's her passion, period, done. Wow, I love that. Do you still know her? <laughs> I, she's written about in my book, and I, I reached out to her, and I just said to her, I just want you to know how profoundly you have changed my life. And she had no idea. Wow, okay, that's also a really cool message. Yeah. To reach out to those people who have those silent impacts. They have yeah. no idea that what they're doing just by being them is changing the world. How cool is that? Yeah. Oh, wow. I love it. So you kind of also mentioned um, that she was embracing the body she had, right? Yeah. And not trying to lose weight. So sometimes I also wonder, like, is there a line between increasing your health, which often comes with having, you know, not being super overweight or having issues that are related to extra weight on your body because that's real right aren't there some medical cases mm -hmm. and so like is there a line between wanting to have your best health 
but maybe doing it not with the end result of shrinking your body, but just making your body healthier, however your body becomes. I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? Is That's a part that I get confused about a little bit. I think what the shift for me is, because I coach women, and I am pretty anti-diet culture, so when people come to me to work with, um, they, they know that my model isn't a weight loss model. <clears throat> um, but what it is, is if you are increasing your daily activity and you're eating healthfully, weight loss is going to most inevitably be a side benefit to that. But what I'm trying to do with women is take the focus off of that. I honestly think if that's the focus, that's that's uh, one step closer to failure. I totally agree. I mean, earlier you mentioned um, diet culture as being not sustainable, and I fully, I love that mindset because that is absolutely right because you're saying to yourself, I'm going to deprive for a certain amount of time, but then eventually I won't have to deprive anymore or like, it's just not sustainable. It's not built into your lifestyle in a way that you can enjoy it and keep doing whatever it is, right? It's not built into our DNA to be hungry. Our bodies fight hunger. We are, we are machines that are, are um, conditioned to prevent starvation. So every time you're hungry, your body's trying to fight that. Oh, that's interesting. Is there like a science behind it? There's definitely a science behind it. We are we are built to not starve. That's why we. Um, that's why our bodies will hold fat. That's why our bodies will um, store fat because it's trying to not starve. So if you're putting your body into a and I'm no in no way like a food scientist or, but I've just done you know a bit of extensive reading on how our body reacts to diet dieting and restriction most often what happens is is what would happen if we were in primitive times once you find food you're gonna binge like no tomorrow that's yeah i mean i can i do that too i mean <laughs> some of us i think we all have experienced this you know at different times in our lives right and and then we feel shamed into giving in to certain impulses, too. This, it's just a horrible cycle. It is. It's a cycle that people get stuck in. And uh, the billion-dollar billion diet industry is, is most definitely built on failure. It is, it, is, it is, I mean, if people were successful at it, they would have no money. This is built on people constantly failing and putting money into it. I'm so glad I'm not in that industry. If that would be such a negative place to live. I think what's interesting is that I've really started to notice <clears throat> the language around, and I'm sure they're getting consulting on this, at Weight Watchers. For one, Weight Watchers has changed their corporate name to WW, I think. So... They've made it so that it's still Weight Watchers, but the, the first thing you see when you encounter the company is no longer weight. Ooh. And they've started to um, implement um, articles in their blogs that are about fitnesses and about a body size. Like They're starting to change very slowly their messaging. And so when you have a major weight loss conglomerate like Weight Watchers starting to change their tone and make it more about lifestyle. Um, they're starting to wise up to the problem that exists, that this is not a model that's working and it's not serving people. 
Yeah, I actually think that's really smart. Are do you still work with Weight Watchers? No. Mm-mm. No, I just people send me <laughs> stuff all the time, like, "Oh, look at this! This is changing." And I'm, a couple of the articles lately have been Weight Watchers, and I, I just find it very interesting that the the messaging around what they're doing is changing, and I think it's I think it's good. Well, the question is, is the actual protocol also changing? Because the messaging, then that's a dupe, right? If you just change the messaging, but you're really not changing the program and you're making money off of people's failures. But, I mean, I get that. That's a business strategy. But, um, but if they're changing their protocol, then that's real change. They still are weighing people every week. They're, they're, you know, the model of their business is weighing people every week. And... <clears throat> You know, I guess if people's primary goal is weight loss, then then that that might be a program that works for them. I just think, I, you know, I've, I've worked with hundreds of people that have been medicated um, for high blood pressure or various, you know, type 2 diabetes. And even in the presence of no weight loss, physical movement has reduced or eliminated their medications. Wow. And that is... I mean, there have to be a lot of reports on that. I think I've read them myself. We know that moving your body and fitness improves your health, right? And for me, it also makes me want to eat more healthfully. So um, the two for me go really hand in hand, and so do the all or nothing. So like when I'm doing nothing, I tend to be drawn to crappier food. Um, I think that if we can get people um, moving then it kind of um, is the gateway to a whole healthier lifestyle. So you think that fitness is the gateway before changing your diet? I do. For Well, for me, fit, fitness for me was really about, okay, so I'm just going to back the truck up for a second. What I see with a lot of my clients is a lack of self-worth. And a lack of, um, well, it comes back to a lack of self-worth is the lack of ability to create boundaries in their life that will give them the ticket to self-care. So those are two major issues I see, and it really comes down to self-esteem and, and confidence. Um, they're not feeling that they are worthy of, of, the, of, of giving themselves um, the self-care that they need. Um, so... So what I found from fitness is that it immediately started to build my confidence, um, especially working with such a body positive coach. Um, I completed my first 5K and then I started doing 10Ks and then I started doing half marathons. I just kept pushing the envelope further and further. And then I left my job and started a fitness business. Like I just really transformed my life and really, I account that to the confidence that I built through physical movement. And I think that if we can get people moving and feeling successful and confident, then they're going to forge forward in their lives um, in, okay, well, maybe now I'm ready to, you know, look at my nutrition and maybe now I'm ready to look at longer distances or, you know, obstacle races and just keep pushing that envelope into higher and higher self. Yes, I love this. And I, I'm a, I believe in this philosophy myself. 
I mean, I do think you take one positive step forward, it can the domino effect can happen. You know, I kind of want to back the truck up again and keep going back to your story where, you know, you said in that first quote I opened with that 15 years ago, you, you know, you hit a wall and everything had to change. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned going into a running store. Was that like step one was discovering running? Well, for one, I stopped drinking alcohol, period. I haven't drank it since. Um, can, I ask, I, can I ask more about that? Yeah. So um, I've listened to some other interviews you've done. One was with our uh, mutual friend, Meredith Atwood, swim back yes. mom. She's super awesome. Um, she's she was my coach as well. She is? Oh, my God. She was for. Um, she was coaching me for 70.3, which I didn't make it to, but I still plan to at, at some day. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we'll keep you uh, honest on that one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she's also sober, and I don't know if you know this, but I am too. I quit drinking 11 years ago. I did not know that. So, and I had a, a long, you know, lifetime of abusing alcohol for all kinds of reasons. So, when you quit drinking, was it because you just wanted to be sort of cleaner, or did you also have issues attached to alcohol? No, I had some very big issues attached to alcohol. In fact, the first time that I ever drank alcohol, I drank it alcoholically. Like, I honestly believe that there's a genetic disposition. It wasn't like something that over the years developed into problem drinking. It, it had always been from the first time I put it in my body. That wasn't enough to make me stop. I kind of partied, partied for like 12, 12 years. Um really unhealthy lifestyle really, like this is what I mean about extreme living like just extreme and then um that's when I had that you know spiritual awakening where I was like I am this is for one not who I want to be um I'm also you know a fairly high achiever so I was not achieving much and I was constantly back grappling with my identity um and I just realized, like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live a long life expectancy if I don't stop this. Yeah, I think those are definitely waking, you know, wake up moments. Did you have, like, a rock bottom that you can remember? I, I like, I really have, so, so I've been clean and sober now for 19 years coming up this year. So I had been sober for a while before I started running. Running was kind of part of my recovery process as well as like constantly trying to lose weight. Um, <clears throat> so I can't remember a specific event, but I just, you know, what I wrote about in that post was like just spiritually and emotionally and physically and financially, like just bankrupt. Just everything was gone and played out and you know, you get to a place where you use alcohol or whatever you might use, food, shopping, gambling, whatever. Um, you use it for a specific tool to um, make yourself feel better or cope. But eventually that stops working and, and nothing works, like nothing. And the only thing that did work was to fully pivot 360 and, and be like surrender, basically surrender and be like, I have to do everything differently. All my friends have to go. Um, this, 
you know, there's that the lifestyle has to go. Um, everything has to go. Let's talk about the community and the association side of it, because, you know, I do, I believe, as, as you mentioned, that many people won't probably accept or understand the new person you want to become. And as much as you might feel connected, it's better to let go. Um, did you, let's talk a little more about that because there's a lot of people listening who know they want to make changes and they're afraid that they're not going to have any support along the way. So how did you find new support that supported the new you? Well, it was too risky to be around any of the people that I had previously associated with. Um, it was, it was going to cause me to not stay clean and sober. Um, so I went to a 12 step program and, um, you really got involved and really met my people, like my people that really got it, people that wanted to be healthy, people that wanted to live a clean and sober life. Um, and then the running community was another huge pillar for me. Um, you know, I just want to say if anyone's out there that is in a bigger body, the running community is a really great place to be um, for all shapes and sizes. I strongly believe that. It's so positive. Um, I, I started to, so all my friends used to smoke and drink and do other things on the side as well. Um, and then when I was in the running community, I, community, I'd look around and I'd be like, these people get up on Sunday morning at like seven and go run 10 K. Like these, this is what I've always wanted. This is who I really am to the core, but I got lost. Yeah. And we've all felt that, felt that we've been lost in some way. I think that's so relatable. And let's just say, too, like, what's really realistic? Is it, you know, people look at you and they're like, well, yeah, she turned her life around, but look at her. She's super strong. Like, it probably happened in a day. But, yeah. like, what was the reality? How long did it take until you really felt like you were coming into this new person that you envisioned yourself to be? I'd say, like, probably four years. Like, I really remember having like just rock solid sobriety and like really um I think I had left my job by then to to pursue fitness full time um just really rock solid in my identity and who I wanted to be and you know my dreams became clear like I remember people saying to me well what do you want and I, I couldn't even answer that question I had no idea I was blank and void Oh, and that's such an uncomfortable place to be, but you have to get comfortable with it because you can't force a new passion. Yeah. I When I'm interviewing clients now and um, I ask them, like, what are your goals or your dreams, and I get, I get caught with that blank stare, um, I know exactly how they feel. Like, just that, that, just that sadness and that place of... Um, just being lost and and so what I try to do is kind of do process of elimination and say what is it that you don't want because people are really clear about what they don't want mm, yeah that's a great way to put it where don't you want to go what don't you want to be exactly. it, it, it helps it narrow down yeah yeah it, it unearths what they really want yes so your business is called big fit girl right? Yeah. And you've got a book 
that I have in my hand. Embrace the body you have. I love your tagline. And you are, and we're working on an app. It sounds like you're going to pick that up again. Maybe you can share a little bit more about what your business does. Yeah, so Big Fit Girl is kind of um, a brand that spun off from my book. Um, It became this community of people that were just reaching out to me that had read the book. So I created a private Facebook group, and that started to grow And then I created an online program because one of the things that was really frustrating to me was the common thread with women, wherever I traveled, it didn't matter if they were in Ireland or, um, you know, Mississippi, it didn't matter that there was a common story that people felt, um, dissatisfied with their bodies and they were unhappy and they they found the fitness industry unapproachable and they didn't know where to start and it was very frightening. It, it doesn't matter where they're from. I've coached women now through my online program through, through 12 countries and the story's all the same. It's, it doesn't matter where the borders are. It's the same story. And so I started to develop an online program that could address that because what was frustrating for me is, you know, going and speaking in various places and people were like, well, what can I do? And I'd be like, at a bit of a loss like if you're going to a gym that doesn't support you or know what to do with you that's a problem and um that's a problem that starts at the top of the fitness industry in the education process um so it was really difficult for me to come up with solutions so i wanted to create a platform online that's a coaching program that i do for six weeks with women But then I also wanted to offer something that was more affordable where people could just download an app. And that's where I'm kind of in, you know, it's conceptualized. I know what I want it to be. We have a prototype. I'm just trying to raise the funds to make the app because they're really expensive to make. Absolutely. And but yet you've identified the need. And how would the app be different than other fitness apps? Well, for one, there would be a visual representation of larger women doing the fitness, which for me was the absolute game changer to know that it's possible to see somebody of likeness. Um, The exercises, you know, I was just talking to a woman that was explaining to me what the current situation is at her gym, that, you know, there's a lot of trainers that don't know how larger bodies work and move and how to modify things for them or they don't feel comfortable, you know, offering um, individuals, like calling them out, so to speak. They, they just, there's a real um, disconnect in the fitness industry to this larger woman or man, really. Yeah, you know, I had, I had some thoughts on this idea of, like, invisibility. And I think you mentioned it, but, you know, that plus-size athletes are ignored or sort of invisible or purposely people try not to see them. But isn't the point like we're all just trying to make our lives healthier. So, and it's ironic that like the bigger the body, the less people see you. Right. And so this is sort of like what you're saying might be happening at gyms and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable. I mean, was this your personal experience too? Um, I definitely have experienced it or 
you know, uh, even today uh, when I go to races, I get the slow clap, good for you. And it's like, I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm a coach. Like, I'm, <laughs> this isn't my first rodeo, but thanks for your so-called support. Um, it's, it's, it's condescending and it makes people not want to show up. I mean, I know that people's hearts are in the right place, but it shouldn't be a, um, like, a a big shock to see a size 16 woman running in a race. No, absolutely not. And you know, what's really funny. I have the app, the opposite. So because if people know me, they know that I was a professional athlete. So then if I go do an event, they expect that I'm going to win it. And then <laughs> that makes me not want to show up because I might just be out there for fun or trying something new and I'm not going to be that good at it. It's like extra pressure, right? Yeah. Gosh, yeah. we get it on all sides. Um, well, I think where larger people really suffer is that society on the whole, there's a real bias out there with medical professionals and, and people in general, like we're conditioned into a bias. And, and so people are like, oh, that person's fat, they should really exercise. But then that person goes to the gym and they're not supported. So they're kind of getting duped on both sides. Yeah, it's a self-defeating cycle. Yeah, Absolutely. we're not helping people get healthier. No, and that's why your app would be incredible, and we got to help get it off the ground. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing you talk about, or you have talked about social media, is something that you call fitness trauma. Yes. Tell me more about that. Well, I think, like the conversation I had this morning with this particular woman on the phone, people, um, like, and by the way, that conversation, she was sobbing through that call. I feel like there's uh, this this confidential, um, unspoken, like, um, confidant relationship with trainer and client, especially somebody that has really found somebody that um, they relate to and can trust. And so through the various years, I've had these very deep conversations with women, and again, there's a, such a common thread of really negative fitness experiences that have caused these individuals to not want to engage in fitness for like years, like a decade. Like something happened, they went to a boot camp and they were left in the dust and they were worked so hard, they felt like barfing, nobody addressed their needs, there was no modifications and um, they, they've been traumatized by it. They, it's been, it was so negative for them that they for years never went back to fitness and the same can be true of gym classes. Like, I think our school system's really favorable to athletically inclined kids. In, in, and they're on the rugby team and the football team. And it's like, they're the best and they're all honored. But what about the kids that suffer with physical fitness? Are we, why are we not focusing on them? So I hear so many stories about kids that were forced to do adults that while they were kids were forced to do the you know the one mile run every day and they were forced into gym shorts and they were ridiculed and they always last and it just was like a terrible experience for them that they've never ever ever approached fitness again yeah i can see that uh, especially the celebration of the people that are considered successful or talented and not a celebration of other people for pure passion, love, or just trying hard. Yeah, and I think um, in the school system, and I'm not, I, I believe that those athletes should be honored and celebrated. I'm not saying otherwise. Um, but I also think that the school system could do a better job at, you know, like 
when you go into high school, there's calculus, but then there's basic math, right? And I took the basic math. I was terrible at math. There's no way I was going to be doing algebra and calculus and whatever else is out there. Um, why don't we offer the same for physical movement? Mm, that's like, why don't we group the more talented people into, um, you know, because you're developing athletes in high school for college programs. So um, these people that just want to enjoy exercise into their adult lives, why can't we have a class for them that's like, you know, physical movement, let's call it that. You know, I think that's a great point, especially after you reach a certain age. I mean, tracking probably has, you know, a negative stigma at times too, but it makes a lot of sense because then you're not polarizing an entire group of people who just wants to try to hide in the locker room every day instead of coming out and doing what they can do because they're embarrassed or they feel like they're going to get shamed or ridiculed or whatever. And oftentimes they are. So I think when we hear that those things are happening, I think it's the truth for a lot of people. And um, and and as soon as physical education in high school becomes obvious, don't go anymore. So you've lost the opportunity for that person to be to have physical movement in their life because the experience that leading up to that optional point has been positive. So let's hit on this concept of shaming that I know you've you've talked about ad nauseum in many of your interviews. But uh, I mean, can people? What is shaming? Like, there's fat shaming, there's skinny shaming, there's like sober shaming. Like, why don't you drink? There's vegan shaming. There's like shaming all over the place. What the heck? Why do people shame others? Well. I think that people shame others as a way really at the core to make themselves feel better. But I think our industry, our fitness industry, is using shame as a motivational technique. Um, and it never works. It never works to get somebody to work out because they feel terrible about who they are as a person um, is, is going to be very short-lived. I absolutely agree. I mean, and and how do you recognize if you're being shamed or if you're unintentionally shaming? Um, yeah, I do see a lot of fitness content online that I'm like, whoa, like, if I posted that to my community, I'd hear about it for sure. Um, I think... I just think that everyone is just so conditioned to think that this is normal. But basically, like, when you see, like, one of the biggest things that the fitness industry is doing with um, marketing and advertising is they're taking bodies of people that are, like, fitness models. So a fitness model will typically spend two to four hours a day in the gym. They haven't eaten carbs in 20 years. Um, you know, like, they are paid and their whole career is based on how their body looks. So they take those bodies and they put it out to the general population and say, um, get ripped abs in like six weeks with our new program. And so we're conditioned to think that we need to look like that and be like that to be valued as, as human beings. And so people fall for it. 
like a lot of people fall for it. I think as you get older, less people fall for it because you become maybe a little bit, um, you know, savvy to the to the ploy. But but you know, especially young women. If you look at Instagram accounts for the the young fitness professionals. It's all about, you know, that booty butt and the ripped abs and the perky boobs. And um, we're really putting a lot of value on how a woman is defined in appearance. And that has never changed from the day I was born. It's more what I see changing is people celebrating appearance, all kinds of appearances. Like, I do think that's starting to change, but it's still not pervasive. Yeah, it's it's slowly happening. I mean, like you say, when you started your company 15 years ago, um, same with me. Like, I just, I, you know, like Myrna, for example, was on the front of Women's Running Magazine. Like, that never would have happened 15 years ago. There's yeah. no way. Absolutely not. And in fact, she's one of our greatest ambassadors and she's a spokesperson for our new line of clothing for women who wear sizes 1X, 2X, and 3X. So like I I wouldn't have even known that that would be a product line or a collection we would pursue 15 years ago because it just didn't even exist. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Well, Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I think that, that it's kind of like that perpetual, you know, like women start to see other women like Myrna, then they start to realize that they can do it, then the demand for the product happens, and it's just that, like, kind of steam rolling forward, like, the more we can see, the more we can be. Oh, I love that. That's true. So, you know, that's, hey, we have eyes vision is not going away so it's just changing the way we see things and the emotions we have when we see things so that we can see things differently and embrace and celebrate more positivity in the world instead of sticking people in corners and telling them they need to change yeah it's amazing and not who they are like you know a lot of a lot of the majority of women are not celebrated in media. It's true. Well, I will say that Skirt Sports is working really hard on that. And I'm excited to get you some of our new lines so you can try it out and give us your feedback, too. And I want honest feedback. So we're going to look at I am too. Yeah, we'll do a follow-up. We'll do a little snippet or something. I'll throw it into a future podcast. For a few final closing questions, um, a lot of people look up to you. I mean, you've worked with many people. You've helped people turn their lives around. They are able to open up and be vulnerable with you. This is really a talent and a gift. But you need to lean on other people, too. So who do you look up to? Who are your guides in this crazy world? I have many really strong women in my life that really support. And just, you know, like, you just need to call somebody to say, hey, um, Meredith is one of them, for sure. We, we get on a call, not as often as we would both like, but she's definitely somebody that I consider a really good friend. And somebody that's, you know, kind of not in the exact same space as I am, but kind of, you know, has, has a similar career. <clears throat> um, I have a lot of close friends. Um, 
I found, it was funny because I was looking at my inbox the other day and the top 10 uh, emails that had come in were from just such kick-ass women. Like, you were one of them for sure. Um, but I was like, God, I'm lucky to have my inbox looking like this. But I really think that you reap what you project. Ooh, I like that. Quoted, you reap what you project. <laughs> Well, and on that note, you know, I did read a quote from you that says, you really can do whatever you want. A lot of people might hear that and be like, oh, yeah, easy for her to say, or how do I really do what I want? Like, how, what is the mindset change here that happens so people can embrace and believe that statement? Well, one of the things that I coach the women I work with to do is you've got to change your sphere, um, your visual sphere. So... Listen to podcasts like this one. Um, follow people like Marna. Um, follow inspirational people and people that are emulating the message and the lifestyle that you want to emulate yourself. Um, if you are trying to, you know, be more accepting of your body and love who you are and be athletic at every size, but you're following people on Instagram that are like constantly talking a different language it's really going to be this push-pull relationship. Um, and so that's one of the things that I talk about is like get rid of all that crap that's, that's um, you know, you're consuming. That's consuming into your brain. And what we think is how we live. Really, our thoughts are, are what is driving the bus. So if we can start to think differently and like redirecting thoughts is another thing I coach people on is just, you know, Think about an idea about yourself that you have, this this thought that comes up. Like, um, you know, like I've heard, just for example, I've heard people say that they feel like a loser at the gym or they feel like um, a failure. Like those words really hurt my ears now, whereas I used to constantly say those in my mind all the time. To even hear a woman say, I feel like a loser, like literally hurts my body. Um, so really looking at where does that message come from? Where did that come from? Like, was it family? Was it cultural? Was it, like, just really identify where it came from and and examine how true it is and, and what, what the opposite of that is and start to implement that, that thought pattern into your brain, even if you have to fake it till you make it. Oh, I love this. We need to do, like, a reframing exercise, right? Yeah. So what word do you use? How do you reframe loser? Well, often when I ask my um, clients like where they where these words are coming from, it's coming from family or um, you know, a fitness experience, a coach or a um, like a role model. It's coming from a role model, somebody that they respected, somebody that they trusted. Um, and then the society message backs it up. So it really is deeply ingrained into their DNA. So just to say change your mindset is like, well, yeah, that is easier said than done. It takes a lot of work. Mm. And it takes like doing exercises and writing it down. So I would just say to people to start with what's the common message in your, main, in your brain that's negative? Where did it come from? Is it true? Like, is it really true when you really look at the situation? And what is the opposite of that that you can say in your brain to combat it? So, like, I wrote about this in my book about, you know, when you go to return something at a store, they sometimes call the manager for an override. Like, hey, manager, I need an override on that. I want you to override your brain. 
I want you to be the manager of your brain and override it. Oh. All right, Louise Green, amazing woman. I think of you, especially after our conversation today, from being spiritually, emotionally, physically bankrupt, which you mentioned earlier, to being today spiritually, emotionally, and physically overflowing with positive happiness. I love it. You're a force. Most days. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother podcast. When you have one of those down days. But you know what? That's also that also makes you human. So Yeah. Yeah. And well, you know what? It's okay to have bad days. We're also conditioned in a society that's like, you've got to be positive, you've got to be happy, you've got to be this, you've got to be that. Well, actually, you can just feel like in the dumps one day, and that's okay. You're a human being. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it then. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you share with our listeners one final piece of advice, one little nugget that will help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way. What would that be? <clears throat> um, I think surrounding yourself with positive, like-minded people is really was a big factor for me in changing. I don't know that I could have done this on my own. I had a lot of support through the running community and through the 12-step program I went to. And that started to breed a whole new, um, different type of person in my life, like the exact opposite of what I had been surrounding myself with. I think it's really important to look at where you're spending your time, who you're spending your time with, and what messaging is going in and out of your ears. Oh, I love that. All right, everyone. You may need to post what messaging you got out of today's podcast, because I'll be very curious to see what of the many nuggets you put out there today people really grab onto. Thank you so much for coming on, Louise. I wish we lived closer so we could hang out more. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, all right, I'm back and so pumped after this interview. Gosh, Louise is such a rock star. I officially love her. I love her philosophy. She's just so open and honest about her journey with health, with alcoholism, with self-love. All she truly wants is to help others find happiness. And I love when she says, the more we can see, the more we can be. It's all about celebrating each other as we continue to seek our full potential at all stages of the journey, not just the end when people have found that happiness. We have to celebrate through the tough stuff. And we can do things alone, but when we have more support from positive, like-minded people, like Louise says, we will enjoy it so much more. So get over to the show notes at NicoleDeBoom.com. By the way, new website launching soon uh, for more on Louise and to pick up a copy of her book, Big Fit Girl, and sign up to work with her as your coach or trainer or consultant. And if nothing else, follow her on social media because she's doing really cool stuff. And finally, don't forget to head over to Patreon.com backslash NicoleDeBoom. And if you feel so compelled, support this show so we can do more with it, spend more time on it, and, and, and give more resources to it to help it become everything it can be. Because like us, it's like its own little person. It's got to hit its potential. All right, everyone, that's it for now. 
You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and we'll see you next week.